0: This is a high Christology. In other words, this is a high view of Jesus. Organizing structure of my sermon. Who's Jesus? Who is he? If we don't get our doctrine of God right, we'll get everything else wrong. So we need to know who God is. This is just one sermon that will help us to do that. I'm going to make two points. Who is Jesus? I'm going to take it right from the language of the hymn, the verse that we just sang. Who is Jesus? Number one, he's God of God. Number two, he's light of light. Who is Jesus? God of God. Notice, all of the gospels, and this one's a little bit different. Well, this one is different than the other gospels, but usually around Christmas time, we go to the other gospels because they give us a story that we're way more uh, comfortable with, way more familiar with, way more. Uh, it, it's easy for us to just kind of get uh, to, to read it and to engage with it. It's the story of Jesus coming to earth and, and being born in a manger, and shepherds and wise men. We get all that. All of that is actually, if you stop and think about it, is really crazy too. But we're comfortable with it because even in the stores, we see this. Even, even people who wouldn't identify as Christians have nativity scenes in their homes. We, we see this stuff all the time. John says, I'm going to give you an explanation of who God is, but I'm going to start And I'm going to start one in in a place that we're going to look at in just a second. He starts with, in the beginning, he's going to the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then he gives us this incredible explanation of who Jesus is, but he does it in terms that we're unfamiliar with and are more perhaps complex and difficult for us to understand. What John's point is this. He's introducing you to Jesus, and he wants you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants you to know that because his purpose in writing is that you would understand who Jesus is and then believe in him. And when you believe in him, then John tells us, then you have life in his name. So his whole book. The whole book that he wrote, the whole gospel is about identifying to you who Jesus is so that you can understand who he is. And then when you see him for who he is, you'll want to love him. You'll want to follow him. You'll want to trust him. And then when you do that, you have life in his name. And so his his whole purpose is deeply theological. It's been said that no portion of Scripture captured the imagination of the Christian intellectual community for the first three centuries than these 18 verses. We're fascinated here. Why does he do this? Why why does he start here? Why does he give us this? If you don't get your doctrine of God right, you get everything else wrong. That's why. <laughs> he wants the reader to have a right understanding of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's God of God. God of God. What's that mean? Well, it means a few things. Let's look at a few things. It means that God is eternally preexistent. This one's going to be heavy. <laughs> What does that mean? Eternally pre-existent. John begins by declaring that the Word, capital W, was in the beginning with God and that the Word, capital W, was God. This is a reference to Jesus. But what where does he go to begin his introduction? When he says, I want to introduce you to Jesus, where does he go? He starts with, in the beginning. What does that remind you of? You who are familiar with the Bible at all. Well, it reminds you of something, right? You just go to the beginning of your Bible. John uses the same phrase that Moses uses opening up the book of Genesis. In the beginning John traces the account of Jesus back further than any other gospel writer he goes all the way to the beginning creation this pa- that phrase alone is foundational for the church's confession of the trinity There never was a time that Jesus did not exist. So if you think Jesus' existence began at the first Christmas, you're wrong. Jesus, There never was a time when Jesus did not exist because he was there in the beginning. The Word, with God, was God. Christ always was. Jesus was always continuing, no beginning, no end. The end of the Bible tells us that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, our minds can't handle this kind of stuff. Take a drink of water. This is where we begin our thoughts on Jesus. This is where John begins on the greatness of God. God of God, eternally preexistent. But then his explanation continues. Eternally with God and eternally God. So eternally with God and eternally God. Which is it? It's both. Eternally in relationship with God The Father and the Son continually face-to-face experiencing eternal communion. The Son of God possesses the exact same divine nature as the Father. You believe that? You're not sure if you believe that. John wants you to believe that. (laughs) One God. Three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, one God, one divine nature. We are monotheists. Did you know that? Monotheists, one God. We affirm that there's only one divine nature. If we are to confess that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are truly divine, the divine nature that they have in common must be the same in every way. When people get this confused. It's easy to get this confused. You read the Old Testament and you come away thinking that God the Father, He got a, he got a real emphasis on justice. There's people that actually say this. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like Jesus. So so we can you see what we're doing there we, we can actually start to separate the godhead and actually think that God the Father he holds he's the he's the one with the hammer. He's just. But we like Jesus cuz he's merciful. He's loving as if God the Father is not. And the Holy Spirit, we just forget about Him. There can be no difference in the attributes from person to person in the Godhead. You've got to get your doctrine of God right. And that's hard for us to see because we see that we're not the same. I look at you, I talk to you, and I recognize that you're different than me. My knowledge is not your knowledge because you and I are different. The knowledge of the Father is the knowledge of the Son is the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. The will of the Father is the will of the Son is the will of the Spirit. The love of the Father is the love of the Son is the love of the Holy Spirit. You get it? Well, I'm not sure I do completely, but but what He's giving us here is this doctrine of God so that we can worship rightly. What else is he? He's God of God, He's eternally pre existent, He's eternally, Jesus is eternally with God, eternally God. And he's also, we're told here, eternal creator. John goes on to explain that all things were made through him. The one and only. John's John's could be paraphrased in this section by saying, I want to introduce you to the one and only. Introducing the one and only Jesus, the Son of God. The one I'm telling you about, the one that one you have to believe in is the one who created you in the first place. All things were made through Him. Nothing was made apart from Him. What was made apart from Christ? Nothing. What was made through Him? Everything. All things through Him became and without Him became not one thing which has become. Some people like that language. Everything in the world made up of atoms. Three parts to an atom. You guys remember this? What are the three parts to an atom? A proton, a neutron, an electron. Electron has a charge, right? Positive. Did I get that right? No? Sorry. Electron's negative. You can tell I wasn't a science major. But I did write this down, so I should be able to... I should stick to the notes. (laughs) Electrons have a negative charge, and they orbit the nucleus. Good. They're mostly empty space. Protons, positive charge, found together with the neutrons, no charge in the nucleus of the atom. Electrons, negative charge, orbiting the nucleus. Now I'm right. If the atom was the size of Lincoln Financial Field, where the eagles play. The nucleus would be the size of a pea. The force that holds atoms together are strong nuclear and electrical forces forces. Now I'm in danger because I'm looking out into the eyes of engineers and they're looking at me. If I'm wrong, don't shake your head no because it'll, sh- it'll throw me off. Just come to me afterwards and in the privacy between the two of us, correct me, okay? So let me get through this unless it's complete heresy, which I don't think it is. The force that holds atoms together, they're strong nuclear and electrical forces. Listen to this. 1,038 times more powerful than the force of gravity, which is holding me and you on the earth. 1,038 times more. That's how strong these nuclear and electrical forces are. The average size of an atom is about one-tenth of a billionth of a meter, one-tenth of a billionth of a meter, you are about, made up of about seven billion, billion, billion atoms. And, check this out, you replace about 98% of them every year of your life. Nearly every cell of hair and skin and tissue and bone dies, and another is directed to its former place. So, here's the truth. When you went on, Summer vacation last year, so remember the summer, beginning of summer, you went on summer vacation, you're not the same person (laughs) that went on summer vacation. John tells us that all things were made through him, God of God. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is sustaining all things by the word of his power. All the seven billion, billion, billion atoms in your body sustained by the word of his power. Church, you can trust this God. You can trust him with everything because he's an eternal creator. He knows just what his eternal creation needs. He knows just what his people need. We've got to get our doctrine of God right. Because if we, get our do- if we don't get our doctrine of God right, we get everything else wrong. We've got, to get right- we've got to get God right. The Bible's our guide. He's God of God. We learn this from the Scriptures. We've got to be careful with who our understanding of who God is. And you know, it's not just outright lies about God. Typically, like totally bogus, outright lies aren't the ones that we buy. The the most dangerous lies are the ones that mix in a little bit of truth. So the most dangerous lies that you and I have to confront are the lies that mix in some truth about who God is with some significant lies about who God is. That's the world we live in. Just a little bit of error in your understanding of who God is, and you can get yourself way off base. Imagine an airplane leaving from Los Angeles and flying to Rome. The flight will take about 12 hours if the plane goes in a straight line from L.A. to Rome. If you point the nose of the airplane one degree off course to the south, one degree, just a little. Just a little, a little bit off. We're not talking... We're not talking like a monumental error. The pilot was just he just set the gauge, and he got it one degree off. One degree. Come on, I, I grade on a curve. One degree, that seems like nothing. One degree, take off from L.A., and you will land. In Tunisia. One degree difference to the north, and you land in Austria. One degree. You got to get your understanding of God right, even in the smallest ways. How do we do that? Got to be people of the Word. Got to study the Word of God. Got to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us. So much confusion all around this church, isn't there? Oh, the world is so confused. The world's always been confused. But it's, it's especially confused in the age that we live in, in a way, and the rate at which we get information. So much confusion about sexuality. So much confusion about gender. So much confusion about marriage. What is marriage? Who gets to define it? So much confusion about morality. There's always been confusion about morality. If you want to be clear-headed on these things, can I make a suggestion that you start with the Word of God? Start with your doctrine of God. Because if we get that right, we can navigate these things. But if we get that wrong, we're going to get everything else wrong. Let's begin by thinking right theologically, church. Then we'll move to the practical applications of our theology. But let's begin by thinking rightly. Who's Jesus? God of God. That's what John wants us to know. John wants to introduce us to the real Jesus. The real Jesus, who's not necessarily your Jesus. He's not a Jesus of our own making. He's not what you want Jesus to be. He's not what other people want Jesus to be. He's not a political Jesus. He's not a weak Jesus. He's not a genie in a bottle Jesus. He's not good only for Sunday morning Jesus. He's not just Hallmark Jesus. John wants us to know who he really is. And whatever church we could imagine about Jesus, he's better. God of God. Who is he? God of God, light of light. Let me just make this last point a little more quickly. John goes on in his introduction explaining Jesus' ultimate credentials, and he keeps using two words over and over again. You saw this when I read it. He keeps talking about light, and he keeps talking about life. They're universally recognizable religious symbols. Light, life. But they're not just sentimental props. D.A. Carson says they, they it's not just to make you feel warm and fuzzy about Jesus. He's light, he's life. Oh, that makes me feel so good. That that's not what this is about. It may make you feel that way, and that's good, but it's bigger than that, it's deeper than that. John uses these words to explain who Jesus is and to focus your attention on his excellent qualities. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. There it is. Light of light. Light and life. What's the opposites? Darkness and death. Those are the opposites. So Jesus is the opposite of darkness and death. He's light and life. The Scripture uses these words all the time, death and darkness, not to describe Jesus. Do you know who the the Scriptures describe when we speak of death and darkness? Us. That's who we are, apart from Christ. We are living in darkness. That's what the Scripture tells us. That's what this passage tells us. We're living in darkness apart from His grace, apart from His light shining upon us. We're groping around in the darkness like Gollum in the mines of Moria. Just trying to find our way. We're groping around, living in darkness, and the best we have to look forward to is death apart from Christ. But Jesus, we're told here, is life and light. He's the light of men. What this reminds us of is if we're a Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, it's all because of grace. It's all because of his kindness. It's all because of love. You couldn't find your way out of that dark state apart from Christ. This this is who he is. That's what we're talking about. God of God, light of light. His grace comes to us as the light of revelation. He turns on the lights so that we can see Jesus. Have 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 you seen Jesus? If you've seen Jesus, and I don't mean the real Jesus, I mean you've come to know Jesus as your personal Savior and your King. Has that happened to you? If that happened to you, it's because Jesus Flick the lights on, and you were able to see him. You didn't flick the lights on yourself. You didn't get to the light switch. You didn't crawl there on your own. Jesus turned the lights on in your life and opened your eyes that you would see and believe in him and have life in his name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you're here and you don't know that, and you're like, why are these people clapping over that? I hope that you would know that. I hope that God's word would speak light and life to you. So what am I saying here? My main point is this. If you don't get your doctrine of God right, you get everything else wrong. So doctrine of God, who is God? From this passage we've learned, God of God, light of light, we're taking that right from the hymn, O come all ye faithful. How can this help us? We're getting ready to have a real surprise in here in just a minute. Give me one second, because as soon as that door opens and these kids come in, ain't nobody going to be listening to me. So by the way, the kids are going to sing, O come all ye faithful, this morning, all right? Let me just make one closing comment of application. What should I do with this? What can I do with this? Remember that Advent is, a, is when we think about Advent, we think about waiting. So, so those, the Israelites prior to Jesus coming, they were waiting for the first Advent. Well, the first Advent has already come. That's what we celebrate. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the first Advent. But we're waiting for something too, right? We're waiting for the second Advent. The second advent is when Jesus makes his final return, when he he comes again in finality. So this life can feel like a waiting room. Doesn't it feel like that Joe got up and talked about and had the sense that there's people who lack peace? You lack peace in this waiting room. You're in the waiting room with God. We're all in the waiting room with God. And I don't like waiting rooms. And you don't like waiting rooms. So what can we do together while we're waiting? Remind one another of who God is remind one another of who God is. So this Christmas season, I had a really beautiful illustration that I wanted to to share with you. I'm going to save it and try to work it into a future sermon because I want the kids to sing and I want us to sing. But what I want to say here is that we have these opportunities all around us in this Advent Christmas season to help one another wait to 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 wait how can we help one another to wait by just reminding each other of who god is That's one of the the great benefits of the gospel community. It's one of the great benefits of the gospel culture that we're trying to build around here. It's that we have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to remind me when I'm forgetting of who God is, and I have the opportunity to remind you when you've forgotten about who God is. That's what we do for one another. That's what true gospel community is. We have the opportunity all around us this Christmas season. Will we use it? The other night I couldn't sleep, and and I was because I was sick and I was coughing and I took some Nyquil, which is like the curse of death for me. So I was really feeling sick and i taken I couldn't sleep, and and it gives me really weird dreams. I I have a lot of weird dreams just to begin with, but Nyquil makes it even worse. And so I had this I I had this. Dream it was like this powerful dream of a friend of mine that I haven't seen for a while and I couldn't sleep. I woke up and I couldn't sleep. So I just started praying for him. And I got up in the morning and I I texted. It was one of those kind of dreams. I don't know if you get those, but it was like it was a meaningful dream and I I, it made me want to reach out to the person that I haven't seen for a while. So I just texted him, hey, you were on my mind last night, woke up in the middle of the night feeling sick, prayed for you, prayed for your wife. Prayed for your family. That's all I said. Got a text back. Wow! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. You have no idea. My marriage is hurting. Mom just died. Work, trouble. To know that God would lay you on my heart, or, or God would lay, yeah, you on my heart, and that you would pray for me in the middle of the night is a reminder to me of who God is and that He really is real and He really cares about me. We got to do that for one another. It doesn't have to be through a dream. Who can you remind who God is? You got this opportunity in Christmas. Let's purpose, church, to remind someone else before Christmas comes and passes. Take an opportunity to remind someone of who God is. Amen. If you don't get our doctrine of God right, you get everything else wrong. All right. Now,